We've been going through the book of Mark, and as a part of our going through that book of Mark, we, uh, we have a reading plan, and this reading plan is very, very simple. Um, it's, it's just five minutes a day. It's a short little passage of scripture, and then there's stuff in there to, to help you journal, to write about what God is showing you. And as we're going through this, you know, I, I was approached by someone shortly after we started doing this, and they said, I know what you're doing. And I said, oh, really? You know, it's kind of that feeling like when a, a police officer pulls behind you. You know you're not doing anything wrong, but you're afraid that they might see something that you are doing wrong. And uh, so I kind of had that, that nervous feeling like, okay, what did I, where did I mess up? What's going on? And they said, uh, I know what you're doing. You, you've lowered the bar so low. Five minutes a day, that's all you're asking. You've lowered the bar so low that it clearly divides the church, makes it so clear that the people who, who are coming just to sit and spectate are obvious because they're not willing to give just five minutes a day. And then it's, it's clear that there are those of us who are, are there that are willing to grow. We're hungry. We're, we're ready to dive into the Word. It's, it's just five minutes a day. And I said, well, I, that wasn't my intention, but, you know, yeah, it, it really does. It really does. We wanted to lower that bar so low that even someone who's just the slightest bit interested would be able to say, hey, I'm in. I'm going to do five minutes a day. I'm going to do five minutes a day. Um, this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and open there. Um, and then I'm also going to ask you to flip to Matthew chapter 11 and put your bulletin or your connection card or something there to uh, mark that place because we're actually going to jump out of bounds. I know we don't normally do this, but we're going to look at two sections of Scripture today. Um, and as we do that, I, I'd encourage you, if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, use your phone or your, your iPad, whatever it is you normally use to, uh, to read Scripture. The verses will be up here on the, on the screen, but I just want to encourage you, man, it, it really is different when you've got whatever it is that you normally read throughout the week, and you've got that with you, and you can make your notes, and as you go through Mark chapter 6 this week and you're reading through it, you can refer back to some of your notes and and you can see what God is doing and how God is moving in your own life. So I encourage you, um, don't rely on the screen up here, even though it is up here. Uh, bring your own Bible, bring your iPad, your phone, whatever it is that you use to, to read Scripture throughout the week, and, and make those notes, because you really uh, get something more when you've got something written down, and, and you can see it over and over again in the same place, over and over and over again. Um, and that, that really does make me wonder, how is your reading going? How is your reading going? I hope it's going well. You know, I've had uh, Mark, uh, excuse me, Scott talked a little bit about it last week, about how just the fact that everyone in this com community group is reading the same thing, they're reading the same passages on the same day, and they're talking about it together, it's helping some people understand it in a new light. It's bringing their conversation deeper and deeper together as they understand, hey, what is God saying to you? Oh, wow, that's awesome. This is what he's saying to me. Isn't that cool? And they're, they're able to communicate and and connect to one another on such a deeper level. So I encourage you, we still have some of those reading plans in the back. If you don't have one yet, pick one up. You can always find it online. Um, but really, I, I just encourage you, jump in. And remember, like we said from the very beginning, if you miss a day, there's no guilt, right? Just jump back in the next day. 
If you want to get caught up, if, you wanna, if you're here for the first time today and you say, hey, I want to jump in and get caught up, it'd take you about 30 minutes to read through those first five weeks and get caught up with the rest of us. Um, but again, you can just jump right in. You can say, hey, I'm going to start with Mark chapter 6 tomorrow and just jump right in. Because really, we are asking so little. And, and I know for some people, it may seem like a bait and switch because really, my deepest desire is that you would come to realize that five minutes is not enough. I want more, right? And it seems like a bait and switch, but, but really, that's kind of the intent, right? That, that we would start to hunger and thirst for more. And here's the, the main thing that, I'm, that we're going to talk about this morning, because that really relates to where we are in, uh, in Mark chapter 6 this morning. So if you have your bulletin, you have a pen, go ahead and write this down, because one thing that, that stands out is that as we approach Jesus in relationship, he's gonna at, he may ask of you far more than you are prepared to give, but he can give to you infinitely more than you can ever imagine, Right? He may ask of you more than you're prepared to give, more than you thought he was going to ask you for, but he can give to you infinitely more than you could ever imagine. He may ask of you more than five minutes. He may ask of you ten minutes, but he can give to you so much more, right? It's the same with every area of our life, whether it's our finances, our time, our talent, our treasure, whatever it is that, that God has in our lives, he may ask of us more than we are prepared to give, but he can give to us infinitely more than we could ever imagine. And the reason he asks of us is not because he needs something from us. Can we admit that, right? If we served a God that needed something from us, that would be a pretty weak God. And I don't know that I would want to serve that God. God asks things of us not because of what he needs from us, but because of what he can give to us. God has something to give to you if you will just step out and follow him. He has so much that he wants to give you. Are you willing to take that step? And that ties in so closely with where we are this morning in Mark chapter 6. We're actually going to look at a pretty big section, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 29, and we're going to divide it into three separate sections, right? So it starts with Jesus going to his hometown in Nazareth. And then the second section is Jesus sending out his disciples. And then the third section, we're going to see kind of what happened to John the Baptist, right? We heard about him at the beginning. We haven't really heard anything about him since. So what's going on with John the Baptist? And what you need to know about Mark is that Mark is a literary genius. So he uses uh, this middle event. He uses a literary device where he's going to take the middle event, and that's the main one. Like, that's the thing that he's trying to show you, but he bookends it with these other two events because there's something even bigger. And so as we're going to see that, that there's a part of this story that looks like it doesn't even fit. Like, why would you put that here? But when you look at it together, you begin to see that God was doing something. Jesus was doing something in his disciples. And so we're going to see that this morning. And really the question that I want us to wrestle with, just like our statement a few minutes ago, that God may ask of you much more than you're prepared to give, but he can give to you infinitely more than you could ever imagine. So what do you do in those times when you find yourself in that space in between where God has asked of you more than you're willing to give, but he's not yet given you his ultimate reward? What do you do in that space? And there's something that we're going to see in, in Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus says, he says this, he says, if anyone is not offended because of me, he is blessed. If anyone is not offended because of me, he is blessed. And so when God asks of you more than you're prepared to give or more than you're willing to give or more than you want to give, you have two options. You can either be offended or you can surrender. 
Those are the two options. This morning, the section that we're going to look at addresses just that. So what happens when Jesus, when God, the Bible, asks something of you that you're not prepared to give? And you say, that's too much, God. Has anyone ever been there? I know I have. Am I the only one? Okay, good. One other person. Excellent. That makes me feel good about myself. Uh, have you ever been there when God just, you, you say, that's too much. I don't know that I'm ready for that yet. I don't know that I'm ready for that yet. Do you take offense or do you surrender? That's what we're looking at. So Mark chapter 1, uh, chapter 6, we're actually going to start in that middle section where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. And then we're going to go back and look at the two bookends to see exactly what it is that God wants us to wrestle with today. The things that he wants to, to change in our relationship with him. What happens when God doesn't work according to your agenda? How do you respond? That's what we're looking at this morning, starting in verse 7 of Mark chapter 6. Uh, excuse me, second half of verse 6, he says this, Now he was going around the villages in a circuit, teaching. He summoned the twelve, and he began to send them out in pairs, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a walking stick, no bread, no traveling bag, no money, in their belts. They were to wear sandals, but not put on an extra shirt. All right, so I can picture Jesus. He's calling the disciples together, and and he's saying, hey, 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 come here, guys. Here's what's going to happen, right? This is Leadership 101. Jesus has has said, look, I've been doing the ministry myself for a while, okay? And then I, I equipped you guys, and we did it together while I supervised. Now it's time for you to go out and do it on your own, right? Leadership 101, it's this. You, I do it, you watch. You do it, I watch. You do it, I do something else, right? And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. He's, he's the perfect leader. He's equipped them. He's saying, look, now it's time for you guys to go and do this ministry yourself. And so he calls them together, and he tells them, here's how it's going to go down. Here's what you need to bring. Here's how you need to pack. And I can just picture Peter's over there with his bag. He shows up with his bag, and he's got everything. And he's, he's, he's like, all right, Jesus, I'm ready to go. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't take a bag. And he's like, okay, well, I'll just throw on this extra shirt. No, 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 don't take an extra shirt. And he's like, well, what can I take? Take a staff. Well, I don't have a staff. John, give me your staff, all right? So now I've got a staff. And so Jesus says, here's how it's going to go down. Here's what I want you to do. And he sends them out. He gives them authority, and he tells them uh, these specific instructions. Why such specific instructions? He goes on, and he says, "Um, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If anyone does not welcome you, and the people refuse to listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So why does Jesus give such specific instructions? Why is it that they're not to take anything with them? Here's the point that Jesus wants them to get. You are to rely on God for everything you need. You are to rely on God for everything you need. Jesus wants them to see that clearly. He wants them to see that, look, hey, I'm not taking anything with me. I'm putting my trust in God alone to provide for everything, and I'm going to trust that it's going to work out, right? And he says, look, Rely on God for everything you need. So what's the deal with the staff? He tells them two things to take, shoes and a staff. Walking stick. What's the deal with the walking stick? Well, in, in those days, uh, they would carry a walking stick, a staff, as a sign of authority. It would hearken the people of Israel back to the times of Moses, the times of Isaiah, and they would know that the prophets, these are people speaking with God's authority, right? These are someone that ought to be listened to. And so they have that staff. Not only that, it's pretty practical. If you're walking everywhere, you get kind of tired, you got something to lean on. But really, it was to draw people's attention to the fact that they had authority given to them by God and that they were to listen to them. And what was their message? 
Their message was simple. Verse 12, so they went out and preached that people should repent. Right? If we were to put it in our, in our terms today, they'd say, knock it off. Or as Uncle Jesse would say, Uncle Joey from uh, Full House, cut it out. Right? You guys remember that? Am I the only one? Okay. Uh, so, so they say, hey, cut it out. Knock it off. Repent. And they didn't have to go into any more detail because the people knew what they were talking about because they had a conscience. They were aware of God's law, not because they'd been necessarily been going to the synagogue and had it taught to them, but they were aware of their own sinfulness. And so when they say, hey guys, knock it off. Stop it. They're like, okay, yeah, I get that. I I can understand what he's talking about when he says to repent, to change my mind about my behavior and the way that I'm acting, that, that I need to honor God. And so he's, he gives them this very, very simple message, and it's, it's the exact same message of John the Baptist. And that's not by coincidence. We're going to see that in just a little bit. So he sends them out, and he says, hey, look, just uh, take your staff and your sandals. Now, we've got a group of 10 people right now. Hopefully we'll have 15 by, by the next couple of weeks going to Haiti this summer in July. Imagine if we came here that Sunday morning that we're supposed to be heading out, catching a plane to Miami and then to Haiti. Imagine if everybody showed up with their bags and then we said, okay, here's what you need to take with you. Sandals and a staff. Oh man, I forgot my staff in my garage, right? So they get down to Haiti. They've got nothing but a staff and their sandals. We're going to get a call from Mission of Hope and they're going to say, what is wrong with you people? Why did you send them so unprepared? We're having to give them food. We're having to give them clothes. We're having to do everything for them. Why did you send them out like this? Right? And so why don't these rules that Jesus sent out his disciples with these rules, why don't they still apply today? How come we don't just send missionaries out with a staff and say, good luck? Right? Why don't we do that? Well, if you remember our scripture reading principle from a few weeks ago, we said when we read scripture, we have to be careful that we don't make it say something it's not saying. Right? And this is one of those cases. This is not applied to all the disciples at all times. In fact, we know from other places in Luke 22 that when Jesus sends them out, he gives them very different instructions. Very, very different instructions. But he also draws their attention back to this time in Luke 22. He says, hey, you remember when I sent you out and I told you not to take anything? Didn't God provide for you? Do you remember that? Rely on God. Rely on God. He says, but this time, take a bag or a purse, like a money purse. And also take a sword. A sword? Jesus, where are you sending us? I don't know if I want to go on this mission if I have to take a sword. So which is it? Which is it? Do we take a staff or a sword? And Jesus says, not only that, he, said, he tells him to take a sword. And he says, if you don't have a sword, take your cloak, sell it, and buy a sword. So at this point, you've got to imagine that you're pretty freaked out. Do I, do I need a staff or do I need a sword? When we go to Haiti, do I take a staff or do I take a sword? What do I take? The point is to rely on God. Rely on God for everything you need. So this is something that Jesus has been trying to teach them all the way back from the very beginning. And we see it very clearly in this first section of Mark chapter 6, going back up to verse 1, when Jesus comes to his own hometown. Now, Jesus has been to his hometown before, and things have not always gone well for him. But this time, he intentionally takes the disciples with him. He comes back, and he says, you guys need to see this. I want you to come with me so that you can experience this, because even though you're relying on God for everything you need, it may not go like you think. Things may not go according to your agenda. It may not happen the way that you think it's going to happen. Things may not go well for you, even though I'm with you. 
even though you're relying on me, it may not go well for you. Let me ask you this. When Jesus asks of you more than you planned on giving, in that space between his asking us to give something up, to make a sacrifice, and, and when he provides his beautiful reward for us, do you take offense or do you surrender? That's what we're going to see with Jesus here in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. All right, so we see Jesus is coming into town. Now, we know from earlier parts of Mark that everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. Everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. Often the crowd was so big that he had to go and stand in a boat in the water far enough away from shore so that people would not crush him while he was trying to teach. Yet in his own hometown of Nazareth, he goes all the way into town, all the way into the synagogue before he has a crowd. He's got to go all the way in before he's able to gather a crowd and people gather around to listen to what he's saying. And then this happens in in verse 2, the second half of verse 2. Listen to this. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him? And how are these miracles performed by by his hand? So the questions that they're asking at the beginning are like, wow, this is amazing. Where does this stuff come from? Where is he getting this wisdom Where is he getting this power to do these miracles? They're asking kind of the right questions. But then their questions start to turn in nature. Look at what they begin to ask next. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? Isn't this the little boy that we knew growing up? Isn't this that little guy? I mean, you shouldn't be laying hands on people. You should be out swinging a hammer somewhere. You're just a carpenter, right? Greek word is tecton. He's probably like a, a more, more along the lines of a, a general contractor. He would have worked with stone and, and, um, and wood. He's probably the last honest general contractor that ever existed, right? <laughs> Matt, Matt knows what I'm talking about. So he, he's out there and they're thinking, hey, you're just, you're just like a day laborer, man. Why would I ever listen to you? Why would I ever listen to you? We watched you grow up. Notice they don't even call him Joseph's son. They call him Mary's son because as far as they were concerned, nobody knew who his father was. They're insulting him. They're saying, who is this illegitimate child that's coming in telling us all of these things? And very last part of the verse there says, so they were offended by him. They were offended by him. Why? Because God was not operating according to their expectation of how God should operate. God was operating outside of what they thought God should do. Jesus was saying all the right things that the Messiah should say. He was doing all the miracles that the Messiah, someone acting in God's power, should be able to do. Yet they're offended by him because he doesn't meet their expectation of who God should be. And so they're offended. And what happens next? It says that Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. So he was not able to do any miracles there. That's not entirely true, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed him, as if that's some sort of second-class miracle. Hey, let me lay hands on you and you're healed, and, and that's all I can do, right? But he was limited in what he was able to do because of their disbelief. Look at this last verse here, verse 6. He says, And he was amazed 
at their unbelief. Jesus, omnipotent, all-knowing God, was amazed at their unbelief. So what happens next? He leaves town. He leaves town. When you are offended by Jesus, he leaves town. And, And for us, what does that look like? It means that we miss out on relationship. We miss out on getting to see God work in our lives when we're offended and we say no to whatever it is God is asking of us. Jesus wants his disciples to know very clearly, it may not go well for you. It may not go well for you. What do you do when God asks of you more than you're willing to give? What do you do when he doesn't work according to your agenda? It may not go well for you. You may be out of a job longer than you expected. You may be single, unmarried, for longer than you expected. You may have raised your kids according to the word, yet they go wayward. Something you never expected. It may not go well for you, but in those times, are you going to rely on God? Are you going to be offended, or are you going to surrender? Now, when it, when it doesn't go according to your plan, will you take offense at Jesus, or will you surrender? When it doesn't go according to your plan, will you take offense at Jesus or will you surrender? Because when we, when we take offense, he leaves town. We miss out on that blessing of the relationship. Remember, God doesn't need anything for, from us. He doesn't need anything from us, but he has things for us that he wants to give. That he wants to give. Now, how many of you were born outside of Georgetown? You were raised outside of this area? All right, that's quite a few of us. Um, I don't know about you, but, but when I go home... Um, I can certainly understand what Jesus is experiencing. I moved out of my parents' house when I was 18 years old. Three weeks after I graduated high school, um, I went on a backpacking trip. It was actually two weeks after I graduated high school. Went on a backpacking trip for 10 days. Um, was offered a job while I was there in New Mexico and called my parents and said, hey, mail me my stuff. I'm not coming home. Uh, and mom said, no, you're coming home and we'll drive you back up. So um, I came home and they, they packed the car and three days later I was back in New Mexico and working and I, I came home um, the day before I had to leave for college. And I was home for 24 hours. I've not lived at home since I was 18 years old, two weeks after I graduated high school. So when I go home now, something happens that I, I just feel like an 18-year-old, immature, disrespected little kid again. And I don't know what it is. I mean, it's, it's like my, my brother and sister, they can't get over the fact that I've got four kids and that, you know, that I'm a pastor. And they're thinking, aren't you the one who chased your big brother into your parents' bedroom and went Chuck Norris on the door and tried to kick it in, but instead put your foot through it? Like, that's the little kid that they see. They don't see Charlie, the grown-up man who's married and has kids. Right? My parents don't see me as, as a grown-up with a, with a job. I, f- I feel like at times they just see me as that same little kid. I, I pray when I go home that I don't run into any of my friends from high school at Walmart because uh, I'm so different now than I was then, and I know that they're just going to say, Hey, remember when you? And like, uh, unfortunately, I do. Uh, I do remember that, and thank goodness the police didn't know about that. Uh, so, I mean, isn't it comforting to know that Jesus experienced the same thing. Has anybody else experienced that? When you go home, you just feel like, man, I'm, I'm treated just like the little kid I was when I left here. 
Isn't it comforting to know that Jesus experienced the same things that we experienced? Um, that's, a side, that's just a side note. That doesn't have to do anything with the sermon. You can throw that away if you want. But I find it comforting that Jesus experienced the same things that we experienced. And that from his example, I can see things may not always go according to my plan and my agenda. But I am to rely on God and to surrender to his will in those moments. Now let's jump down to the rest of the story with John the Baptist. Now, this story seems like it doesn't fit, right? Jesus is, uh, Mark's been talking about Jesus going home to his own hometown, and we could see how that might be preparation for the disciples to be sent out. Yet, in this section, we, just, we start reading about John the Baptist. We pick up the, the end of his story, and there's really no real reason why we should be reading this here on first appearance. I mean, the only reason... Uh, he kind of transitions to this and that we're reading about John the Baptist here is because of some feeling, some insignificant feeling that Herod has about John the Baptist. And so we get this story here, but we're going to see very quickly how it relates. It says, um, King Herod heard of this, right? He heard that Jesus was healing people. He heard that Jesus had sent his disciples out. He's hearing more and more about Jesus. He heard of this because Jesus' name had become well known. Someone said, Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the the dead, and that's why supernatural powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet, like one one of the prophets. All right, so Herod is hearing this, and he's getting nervous, because Herod's a politician. And Herod knows, as a politician, that there's only so much power to go around. Like, this is a zero-sum game. There's only so many slices of the pie, and if this Jesus character is taking some of that pie, that means I have less of it to eat, right? And so he's getting nervous. He's getting scared, and he says, I've got to do something about this, um, this Jesus guy. And then we read this. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. So now imagine that you're reading the book of Mark for the very first time as a first century believer, and you're reading this book, and the last thing you heard of John the Baptist was that he baptized Jesus. And now it's like, what? John the Baptist was beheaded? Mark's a literary genius. Now you got my attention. Now I know what's going on here. So John the Baptist was beheaded. And then he goes on to explain when Herod heard of it. Um, he says, uh, for John, Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother, Phil- brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. Because Herod was in awe of John, he was protecting him, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very disturbed, yet he would hear him gladly. So we've got this this thing going on where Herod's brother, Philip, comes to visit and brings his wife. Philip, uh, Herod decides that he likes Philip's wife and says, hey, why don't you come marry me? And she says, okay, because Herod's got a lot more power. So this is Herod Antipas. He's got a lot more power, and so he marries Herodias. And John the Baptist is out there saying, hey, this is not lawful. This is not cool that you're doing this, that you've married your brother's wife. You need to, you need to knock it off. And so this makes Herodias very nervous because she likes being the queen. She likes having all the power. She likes having the money. And so she says, Herod, you've got to do something about this. You've got to stop this guy. Herod says, well, I don't really want to because I can at least see that he's a righteous man, that he's been sent by God. So it kind of makes me nervous to go and arrest a prophet of God. But he does because his wife is putting all this pressure on him. And so he arrests John the Baptist. 
And John the Baptist is there in prison. And you've got to imagine, you've got to imagine what's going through John's mind. After everything that he's been through, after all the stuff that he's seen, you've got to imagine what's going through his mind when he's there sitting in prison. Let's flip over with me to Matthew chapter 11. And let's look at these verses real quick. It says, When Jesus had finished giving orders to his twelve disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their own, t- in their own towns. When he heard John was in prison, what the Messiah, uh, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent a message by his disciples and asked him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? John is in prison. This is John, John the Baptist, who when Jesus came to be baptized, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'd already identify him as the Messiah. Not only that, right after Jesus is baptized and he brings him up out of the water, John was there and he heard the voice from heaven say, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. John heard all that. John knew all that. John had probably heard from his mother and father the prophecies about the angel coming to visit them and how they said that he was going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. And he knew what, about Jesus' birth. He would have known all of this. Yet here he is in prison, and he asks this question, Are you the one, or should we expect another? And look what Jesus says here. Jesus replied to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, those with skin disease are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And if anyone is not offended because of me, he is blessed. So Jesus says, look, here's what's going on. I get it, John. You're in prison. It's cold, dark. You're probably hungry. You've probably lost perspective. You just lost perspective for a moment. But go back and tell John what you see. Tell John what's taking place. And he'll understand. He'll know that I really am. So what Jesus is telling John is, hey, John, look, I get it. This isn't what you signed up for. I mean, in John's mind, he's thinking, hey, I, I, I've got disciples. I've got a solid ministry going. I'm seeing people repent. I'm seeing people give their lives to God. And here I am in prison. I gave my whole life to God. Why would I end up in prison? Just for speaking the truth. Here I am. I'm in prison. I'm suffering. I'm cold. I'm hungry. It's dark. It's wet. I'm lonely. And Jesus says, I understand. I understand that you've lost perspective and things haven't gone according to your plan. Things are not turning out the way that you would have them turn out. And then he says, but blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. Blessed is the one who is not offended to me. Have you ever been in that position where John the Baptist is? Where you're in a prison, you're trapped by some situation in your life, and you lose perspective, even if just for a moment. You lose that perspective and you begin asking yourself, uh, why is my life turning out this way? Why is life turning out this way? God, didn't I honor you with my finances? Why am I filing for bankruptcy? God, didn't, didn't we pray over our marriage? We've been praying and nothing is changing in our marriage. God, we raised our children in the way they should go, yet they've turned from you. God, why is it that my life is not turning out the way I expected when I'm honoring you? You ever been there? You ever been there? In those moments, will you be offended by Jesus or will you surrender? What happens when God does not meet your expectations? When he 
works things out in a way different than you thought they would work out? Are you going to be offended, or are you going to be surrender? And Jesus, I think Jesus' answer to John is this. Hey, John, I understand things are not working out the way you expected, but what you need to know is they're going to get worse. It's going to get worse. But you need to rely on me. Don't be offended. Rely on me, and I will see you through. Rely on me. Will you be offended, or will you surrender? What happens next is kind of a sordid tale. Uh, the, the last part of John's story is this, that um, Herodias, Herod, has a big birthday party. And he throws a big party, invites all these important people. And Herodias, most scholars believe it was her idea to send her daughter in. She's not named in Mark, but we know from history that her name is Salome. And so Salome comes in and dances for Herod. The, the, it's assumed that she was kind of dancing provocatively for Herod and all the men around him, and says that her dancing pleased him so much that he said, whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom, I'll give to you. Well, there's a problem with that, because it wasn't Herod's kingdom to give. He was a little pawn of Rome. But he says, hey, probably half drunk, whatever you want, I'll give it to you, up to half my kingdom. Well, Salome doesn't know what to ask for, so she steps outside and asks her mother, what should I ask for? And Herodias says, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod's made a hasty decision, and now he's got to follow through or else he looks really bad in front of all of his friends and dignitaries and the important people around him. So Herod sends the executioner and has John the Baptist's head brought in on a platter. John's disciples come and they bury his headless body. What do you do when life does not turn out the way you expected it to? When God calls you to do something that you never expected him to call you to, when he asks more than you're prepared to give, will you be offended or will you surrender? Now I know it seems like this is, this is Old Testament stuff. This doesn't, this doesn't happen anymore. This is Bible time kind of things, but it happens even today. Some of you are, are asked to, maybe God is asking you to make small sacrifices, right? How many of you this morning did not want to set an alarm? It was cold. It was rainy. It was, it was dark when I got up. It was daylight savings time. I wanted to stay in bed. God, that's more than I'm willing to give up, that hour of sleep. Yet there were men here, women here this morning doing the setup crew at 7.30. People are faithful, Right? What do you do when, when God says, hey, I know you've been given 3%, but I want you to give 5 I want you to give 5 And in a couple years from now, I'm going to ask you to give 10 And then a couple years from then, I'm going to ask you to give 12 Will you be offended or will you surrender? I know it seems, again, it seems like Bible time stuff, but we have a great example of this, um, someone surrendering their life completely to God in recent news. Last month, we, uh, we heard on the news over and over again, you probably read about a young woman named Kayla Mueller. Kayla Mueller was uh, working with Doctors Without Borders over in, in the Middle East. And uh, in 2013, she made a trip over into Syria to work at a hospital and was captured by ISIS. She was captured. She'd been held there for um, two years held by them for two years. In 2014, some of her, ca- some of her um, cellmates were let go, and she got a letter out to her parents through her cellmates. And she wrote in this letter some very interesting things. She wrote about her, how she wasn't giving up the fight, 
how she didn't want them to be worried about her. And then she says this. I love what she says. She says, I remember mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I've come to a place in my experience where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator. Kayla Mueller died in February of 2015, still in captivity. I've surrendered myself in every sense of the word to the creator. What do you do when God asks of you more than you're willing to give? Are you offended or will you surrender? I want us to take time now at this time. I want us to to take two. I want us to, to stop and to think. I hope you'll spend some time in prayer and ask God, God, what is it that you are calling me to do that, that I'm not prepared to do? Lord, would you show that to me? Would you show me what it is you're asking of me? And God, would you give me the strength to surrender? So in this take two, would you just take two minutes and write down the one thing that you feel like God is saying to you this morning? And then write down an action step. I will. I will do this. God, you've shown me this. I will do this. Let's just take two. Will you pray with me? Father, we know that every single one of us at one point or another in our life has faced a decision when you have asked us to give more of ourselves than we were willing to give. Whether it's our finances, our priorities, our time, our selfishness, Lord, you've asked. I pray that that when we go out of here this morning that we would be able to identify those places and that we would surrender them to you. And Lord, when we're in those prisons, when, when our judgment is clouded, and we begin to ask, why is my life turning out this way, Lord, that we would see that you are calling us to something, that we would surrender to that. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Lord, let us be blessed. Let us be people who are not offended because of the things that you call us to do, but let us surrender fully to your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.